Thank, thank you all very much for coming out tonight. Um, we will now go to questions from the board. Um, colleagues, questions or comments? Ms. Van Doren. I just want to thank um, Ms. Stengel for the diligence that you went through with this report, and I wanted to perhaps ask to recap a little because um, we've been working really hard on our numbers, and it goes all the way back to the community facility study and the joint work with the county. And I just, if you don't mind, do you think you could recap a little of that? Because I think um, this has come out a little later than it normally has in the past, and I would like our uh, community to understand that, to understand how certain you were when these came out. Um, obviously, always ready for scrutiny, but I, I just thought it might be helpful to recap that. So a lot been, of work has gone into this. The facility study actually has framed a lot of what we're doing on projections now. And as you know, as of September 1st, I think projections have moved under my office. Mr. Chadwick was doing them for years, and, and um, we've had one person doing it, which is a lot of, um, you know, to me, I'm a data person, and we have a data team in my office, and we want to have multiple people looking at the data. When we're working this kind of stuff, especially with projections, this is our, our best guess using data that is informed by um, other sources of information. Our projections we had validated through the facility study process by an external expert. And the best part of our data is the stuff that's based on the students who are there today. We can look at trends and actually monitor, you know, what is sort of the in and out of our schools. How should we expect, you know, the, should, do most kids return? Is there a little bit of an uptick at some schools? Is there a little bit of a downtick, you know, and based on grades? And so we have pretty solid information on the kids that we have enrolled. Um, probably the least, um, you know, the, the, the one that we, we, we will always struggle the most with is that kindergarten student. Until we actually have them come and register in our schools, we don't know that they're coming. Um, once they do, we know they're here. And so we've been working very closely with the county on this. Um, we used to just take um, information about the births of Arlington residents and compare it to five years ago and, and, and do an estimate. What we're doing now with help from the county and they're working through this is they have better information on that where they're using um, forecasts around women of childbearing age and tying it more to geography in the county. So we're getting better information. That's still probably the part that's the biggest guess for us. The other piece that we're getting with them that I think they're working very hard to help improve the data is the housing data. As new developments are coming online, um, one of the things that we've ch that's changed a lot in this current process is we didn't have the detail of when those buildings were estimated to open. We had these, these buildings are coming. What we found was some of the buildings that we had were actually probably not going to happen for 15 years. So they were beyond our projections. So what we're seeing now, which is why some of our things, our numbers may have changed and the projections aren't as high, is because we've got better timelines. The county knows that they're not going to open apartments continuously if there's a lot of vacancy rates. It's more likely that they will come on at different points. And so our um, data now reflects those years where those are coming online. Um, and we feel they're better estimates right now. And for that, we have a student generation factor. So among our students, we know the housing types that they're in, and we actually generate, you know, what is a generation factor for, uh, you know, a different type of house. 
And as we're adding new development, we apply that rate to estimate the number of kids that would come from new development. And that's something we're gonna continue to monitor because I know a lot of people are concerned. As we build more density in higher um, high rises, will those um, students in the high rise, the number that are coming from them change? We haven't seen a lot of change in those yet. Our biggest number of students come from single family houses. We get most of our, yeah, you know, I think it's around, it's above 60%. I don't know, I don't remember the actual numbers right here tonight. The second biggest number comes from our committed affordable housing that is, but there's not that many of them, you know, so, and then when we look at different types of apartments, we have different rates that are smaller. So we're monitoring that data really closely in partnership with the county, and they're trying to actually, as they're um, working on housing data, get better data. How many bedrooms? you know, the age of the house and ownership rates. Um, so we're doing a lot of things with them and as they get that, I think we'll get better information for them as we go forward and each year we'll probably see improvements like that. Ms. Grady. Thank you, Dr. Cannonan. Um, I apologize ahead of time because I have a ton of questions and they start with elementary and I have one about middle and I'll skip my high school one. But um, I'm trying to have a better understanding uh, Ms. Dangle about the plan for adding um, additional K classrooms at Campbell and ATS and continuing to have six kindergarten classrooms at Claremont and Key. Um, the first question I have is, I don't, I don't know how to explain it better, but is this a permanent portal for students to be able to come through um, by opening that 1K class or is it a temporary door where you're letting one set of 24 students come in and they will continue on throughout and no one will potentially at this point follow them or is this a portal where you will continue to have 24 students um, continue through and add like a whole nother stream of classes? Our plan is to look at this annually and sort of calibrate it to what's happening across our schools. As you saw next year, we expect about 300 more students in our elementary schools. So as we look across our schools, this is potentially a way to balance some of that enrollment by each of our option schools helping take the load off our neighborhood schools. We're hoping that, you know, because kids don't always come in the same grades or in the same, you know, we get them in different pockets of the community and we get them in different, um, you know, numbers of kids and we can't control where that comes, where we have that at the um, option schools. And part of this is each year taking a look at what we're looking at for projections across the county and trying to adjust. And, and do it together. So it's part of a solution. So at Claremont and Key, this is the second year you're kind of leaving that portal open. And at this point, this is a temporary decision for this upcoming year. Yeah, to, and I think one of, the, one of the things we're doing, especially, you know, we changed our application process for our option schools last year as part of the options and transfer policy. And, and I, our principals are concerned. You know, they, they also want to make sure that um, we're changing our process, we've got things going on, and we just wanna make sure that we're trying to allow for, um, for families who want the programs to be able to get in, especially as we go through these changes. People now have to go through an application, a central application process. We've divided, actually, the immersion schools. We have two lotteries, one for um, primarily Spanish speakers and one for speakers of English and other languages. So we wanna balance the enrollment because the instructional design is to have a balance of those two. If we don't get, if we don't fill it up, we could pull it back, um, but we also have a principal retiring. It would, we wanna make sure the programs that families want have access um, for our families. And then what, what's the impact on common space for those different schools, because that's four schools there? 
say that again. What's the impact on the common space um, by continuing to, to add more students at those four schools? So the, the study that, um, the relocatable study, the facilities optimization study that actually looks at it, there's, um, there's two rates of when you would, uh, of what you could have. There's that maximum. How many can we actually fit on the site? And it looks at, you know, topography and a lot of those things. Then there's a preferred that actually looks at how can we still accommodate three lunch periods. You know, most of our elementary schools, because they are at full capacity, have to feed students over three lunch periods. And so that preferred is, is, is working within that range. Um, okay, thank you for that. And the, another question I had was about Arlington Science Focus, because you're moving a VPI classroom from there, I believe, to Barrett. And I know that the community there had been a little concerned about the way that we're currently changing the application process for, for um, the Spanish immersion schools. And I think there was a, a concern that maybe there might be more students going there. And did you feel like that at making opening up that one extra class might um, accommodate that potential extra students who may go there? Yeah, so you know we did some estimates, a low, medium, and high of what we expect might change with um, as key is no longer an option, you know, for the neighborhood, and they have to apply through the lottery. And as we did that, we thought up to two classes might enroll next year, and we worked with the principal and asked her, Miss um, Johnson talked with her about her preference. You know, one of the preference was to add reloc a, a relocatable. Another option was to move a VPI program, which we do typically. And those students are at a school in VPI for one year. You know, they continue on in the school, but you know, you can move it to another school where there's space, and it allows um, you know some breathing room when we when we don't know what the actual number of kindergarten kids kids coming next year are. Um, I had a question about the Montessori plan to kind of hold off and wait a little bit. Um, I understand the rationale for doing that because you want to see how many people may be coming in. I also understand that sometimes it's hard to hire a Montessori teacher late in the game. And so I didn't know whether or not we had any indication as to at this point in the process, and I think that you can apply up to the 16th, whether or not it looks like um, we may need another classroom and whether we're going to be able to potentially get somebody to come in if we decide late. I know we're working on that with the principal and with um, our early childhood supervisor. We met to talk through this and they're, they're trying to put pieces in place. What we want to do is try and be able to take as many families as apply. And um, I didn't get your question until late, so I don't know the actual numbers. I know when I saw it a couple weeks ago, um, at that point we felt like we had the right capacity, but we also know that we may get more. Um, and, and we're trying, and, and again, all of this is new getting this centrally, so we're monitoring it and hoping to accommodate as many families as we can. I would just ask that we would balance that to ensure that we could potentially hire the appropriate teacher because yeah. a lot of those teachers get snapped up really early. Like and the principal out. actually has some great ideas on that already that she's working through. So she's, she's been ahead of this and sort of helping us think through, you know, and, and putting the pieces in place to make sure she's got the right staff. One last question. Okay, well, and this is the, my, my middle school question. I noticed that um, in, I think, the presentation, I think we might have, or I, maybe I read this somewhere else, that we have 49 relocatables right now at middle school. Mm -hmm. And when we opened Stratford, um, I guess some of those middle school uh, trailers or relocatables may not be necessary any longer. What are we gonna do with them? And is there a, uh, do we save any money? So um, most of the relocatables that are, there will be, there maybe most of those are at Williamsburg and Swanson. 
and since the school board has made the decision that all the, there would be no students remaining when the new school opens, we expect most of those to um, go away. Um, some of them will be redistributed to meet you know, increased enrollment for next year. Uh, we now are at the point where we have pretty much replaced all of the really old ones that we had, some of which were still leased. Um, there may be a few more that we will replace to upgrade them and then we will likely put them on the market to sell them uh, because we have relocatable classrooms that are a pretty high specification um, that are well looked after and there are many school districts that are in the market for those relocatables. It's very hard for us to find appropriate places to store them and it's probably not the best thing to do with them anyway. Thank you for indulging all my questions. Mr. Goldstein. Oh, thank you. Um, thank you, Lisa, for the presentation. Can you go to slide 11, please? Turn that thing up. Um, just to clarify, there in the, um, the third bullet uh, under middle school, um, those 775 seats at Wilson, they're not all middle school seats. No. No, they're actually middle and high school seats. Okay. Yeah, sorry, some of this is just packaging. But this is, it, it is, it, the HB Woodlawn program is moving there and it's, it's a combination of both. And so in addition to what's already at HB Woodlawn, there will be some additional seats that were part of the CIP. Right, I'm just sensitive yeah. to the fact that people, you know, yes. pluck a single slide out of a presentation and then, you know, look at it without context. And so I just wanted to Thank make you. sure we corrected that. And can you go to uh, 12, please? And actually, maybe what I should clarify what this really is, is those 775 seats, they're moving out of Stratford. So, and then we're adding the addition. So it's, they're moving into a, you know, they're moving into a new building and actually we're adding a thousand seat middle school seats while we're moving a program over. So it's, and we were looking at some of the old reporting on it. So it's a, it is a little confusing. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, we can, we can count it a couple of different ways, yeah. but, um, I just wanted to clarify that these aren't all 775 right. middle school seats. Uh, and then if you could go to slide 12, please. Uh, oh, okay, so the title says projects returning from the last, the current approved CIP. And what you mean there in middle school is that there are no projects left over from the existing CIP that are gonna roll forward to the new CIP. Right, so I'm not learning. That, not that we're not gonna have a middle school project in the new CIP. Right, right, we will, by the time this CIP is adopted, I believe my understanding of, and again, this is my first time in this process, so I'm learning too, is that we will have paid for the additional seats that we're already doing. So this is really what is carrying forward from it. We don't ha currently have a middle school project in there. What we are doing is seeing some middle school growth that we're going to need to address in some way. And so when that, uh, when your um, proposal for the CIP comes forward, it may have... Uh, Probably going to have a couple options for middle school seats okay. and some things that we were thinking through as we worked with the FAC members to, right. to, to, to get creative and sort of, you know, we've got one bucket of money to fund all these different things that we've got to do and how can we do that in a way that... You know, provides good learning environments, but also is wisely using our money to allow for some of the things we know would need to happen. 
Right, but it's not uh, spillover from the previous CIP, that is the current CIP. Okay, thank you. Okay, um, I just have a question or comment, not sure yet. Um, on the slide with the elementary capacity, the, the numbers and then, um, there we go. So um, next year we, uh, we have a seat deficit overall in elementary of 1,300 seats. Um, just want to remind everyone, just almost for fun at this point, that we really were planning to open an elementary school in 2018 <laughs> that got delayed by a year. Uh, so it, it's, it's interesting to remind ourselves of that. Um, there I'm learning that tonight. <laughs> yes, so um, you know, the fact is we have um, a large seat deficit in elementary next year. And then it gets better because we do have plans for elementary schools mm -hmm. coming online. So next year is kind of our, um, you know, the, the, the most difficult year in terms of elementary. I, once we get to CIP season, I start carrying my capacity utilization numbers around, but I don't have it with me. I, I didn't bring it. Um, 1,300 is about how many trailers, relocatables, do we expect to use in elementary? Um, we currently have, I think, um, just over 90 serving elementary schools. Um, I would have to get you the exact number, and we will be adding a few more this summer, and we'll be accommodating some of um, the remainder in room conversions. Room conversions? Yes, oh, oh, using oh, rooms that are being used for special classrooms, we'll yeah. turn them into grade-level classrooms. Okay, because I'm pretty sure you don't have in our budget that we're also looking at, um, you know, that's, that's um, how many trailers? Well, that yeah, for 300, so you, you, you don't have, you're not, we're not buying new relocatables that would for be, all of those. That would be a, somewhere between 12 and 16, but we're not buying all of those, absolutely not, just a few. Okay. And, and we are also relocating some, as you know, we have some um, currently stored at Kenmore. Right. And I know that um, crowding, overcrowding can be defined many ways. It can be defined as percent, you, you know, how many percent overutilization we have number of students, different size schools can have, you know, uh, different actual absolute numbers of uh, students that are in trailers, and then number of trailers is, you know, there are like different ways we can define it. At the moment, um, am I correct that Patrick Henry is, by most definitions, the most crowded school in our system? I think it's the elementary school with the most relocatable classrooms. And as you know, it will relocate and to it's continuing to grow next year. How many relocatables do you expect it to have? Uh, we haven't finished the analysis of that. As you know, we do an accommodation plan every okay. year. So How many does have, it have right now? Um, I think it has 10. 10. Yeah. How many other elementary schools have 10 right now? Um, or which, which elementary schools have 10 right now? I, I, I'm, I don't know. I, you don't, may I'm, I'm afraid there are too many schools to keep out? in my head. What's one? Oak Ridge? And Barcroft. And Barcroft? Those three? Uh, Barcroft does not have that many. Barcroft, I think, has six. Barcroft is, it's, um, they, they have um, a program in some. Yeah, they have six, I think. Okay. I, I, can, I can look it up while we're speaking. Um, and you can follow up as we go on to the next item, too. I, I just wanted to get a sense of what our most crowded schools are. I mean, the fact is, next year, we have a lot of students who are going to be in relocatables across our system. Um, Oh, <laughs> you guys want to know which ones they are? It's just handed the information. 
Um, it's 53 relocatables. At elementary? And again, by relocatables, it is it is those. But again, Barcroft, it's not because they're overcrowded. It's because they have programs in those relocatables. But it is, it's Oak Ridge and Henry, yeah, that are the most crowded. Okay, I just wanted to um, confirm that. And, um, you know, we'll be struggling with this. But I think, um, you know, I'm optimistic about the future as we bring these elementary schools online and we'll, we'll catch up and, um, you know, build some new optimal learning environments. So um, any other questions or comments on this section before we go on? Yes, Ms. Talento. I think mine is just a, a clarification. To, um, as a career center working group liaison, you mentioned on slide seven that uh, the new projections for grades nine through 12 um, show that we'll have a surplus of high school seats for a small period of time and that this may provide some breathing room to the career center timeline. And so will one of the proposals that are being brought forth in the CIP, I don't know if they're called proposals, this is my first uh, CIP process, but one of the scenarios, I guess, maybe the better word that are bringing brought forth, will it consider something like that as well? Yeah, we want it to align with their work. They're, they're going through the process, but if it gives them a little bit more time, because another year will give us more bonding capacity and more money to actually do some of the, you know, some of the work that um, needs to be done. You know, what we do know that again, we've got one pot of money that has to cover every need for building capacity. And so if we have a little bit more space, it, it may get them a little bit better. You know, a little bit more, you know, it, the, more, the more seats we could build, the better. Um, and, and that's the one community that's actually been really supportive of, you know, let's grow it, let's, let's make it um, accommodate more students. Thank you. All right, excellent, thank you very much.